What if someone told you that you could learn the secret to happiness or success? Maybe you have an interest in mental health or the unknown, or even the desire to communicate with the dead. These are the real stories and encounters from the real people on Behind the Story with Chuck Talk. And here's your host, Chuck Talk. Right? All right. The male and female thing goes, I was wondering, because I said a sex addict, and I hear you saying porn addict. Is there a difference between a sex addict or a porn addict, or is it one and the same? Well, for me, having been a porn addict, to me, I look at it a lot like when we say sex addict, what do we think? We think intercourse. Let's be honest. We think intercourse. That was never my issue. That was never the issue of most people who are my clients or most people who I've met in my journey who are true porn addicts. It has nothing to do with intercourse. That's a completely different disorder. What I would like to see moving forward, and this again, if this is just labeling, this is just qualifying, I'd like to see sex addiction to kind of be the umbrella term, much like drug addiction is an umbrella term. If I say, oh, he's a drug addict, you know he's got some, it, it, it's a more specific thing going on there. You know, he's an alcohol addict. Okay, well, it's probably not rubbing alcohol. It's probably something he drinks, and it's a type of drink. He's a whiskey addict, or he's a vodka addict. Well, when it comes to sexuality... It's not just intercourse and pornography. There are things like exhibitionism, voyeurism, BDSM that can be considered other sexual disorders. There's about 12 different sexual disorders that can lead to addiction. And I would, I usually sex addict and porn addict because I know people jump to the conclusion of intercourse when you say sex. So if someone calls me a sex addict, they're not technically wrong but I also think that they may be thinking about something else going on. So I often separate the two because I think as society goes, sex addict still means intercourse addict. Mm. Okay. Hopefully we get some clarification because I'm coming into this as one of the guys, a person off the street that hears that word porn or sex addict or addiction and thinks just like what you were saying. But I also wonder, when is it that we label ourselves or come to realization that we have this addiction to a sex or pornography because, you know, 18, 19, 17, 16 year old boy, when he discovers sex, ejaculation, somebody else doing it for him, that's all that's on their mind. Are they immediately a porn addict or sex addict? I can tell you that when I saw hardcore pornography for the first time when I was 12 years old, because of things that had happened to me abuse-wise at four, five, six, seven years old, I found something that I was immediately hooked on. Immediately. But I have heard just as many stories of people who get hooked on it over none of us are exactly the same. And I think that, you know, ultimately it was what was happening in your life at the time that you started using regularly. My theory towards addiction is that we are going through some kind of trauma at that moment when we discover it, whether it is porn or gambling or video games or cocaine or whatever it is. We are going through something and another item is introduced to our lives. And that item, whatever the addiction is, helps us get through that trauma. So we know on a subconscious level, okay, 
This pornography helped me get through this trauma. Gambling helped me get through this trauma. Alcohol helped me get through this trauma. Whatever it may be. Now that that trauma's off to the side, you're back to living your everyday life. Well, if you're... If that addiction can help such a big trauma, what if you have a bad day at work? What if you have a bad day at school? Your wife's mean to you. Your husband's mean to you. You know, your boss is mean to you. You go home and you're not feeling good. Well, gee, if this thing made me feel good during this horrible event, now's just a bad day. Maybe it'll make me feel better too. And aha, it does. And suddenly you are self-medicating with your addiction on just hard days. And then you're self-medicating with your addiction on just average days. And then you're self-medicating with your addiction every day because you have to, because you have actually done the changing of the neuroplasticity in your mind. You have, you know, infected, in a in, uh, sense of a, the word, the dopamine receptors, the oxytocin receptors, those pleasure centers in your brain that the all of the chemicals that make you feel better, you have learned a way to essentially flood them and fry them. And while it feels good going down that road, you get to a point where no more can you easily get that. And that's when the real addiction sets in. And for people who are like, oh, am I an addict? Am I an addict? Well, unfortunately, there is no blood test for this. Addiction is just a label. Addiction is a series of symptoms. And how many symptoms do you meet? For me, I believe that there are 11 symptoms of pornography addiction. And I think anybody who meets, you know, three or four of them, that should be a red flag to them. Nobody's ever going to meet all 11. You can point to the one or two that you aren't and go, nope, that means I'm fine. Or you can point to the four or five that maybe you have some issues with and go, okay, collectively, I have these symptoms. These symptoms tend to usually mean in most people that I do have an addiction according to the definition. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the labels are. It doesn't matter what the words we use are. It doesn't matter what you agree with as a symptom or not. At the end of the day, you're still the same person. What are you going to do about these deficiencies that you have? What are you going to do about this, not just addiction, but dependence on another, on another behavior or on another drug or an, another drink or another hobby gone wrong? It doesn't matter what you want to call it. It is what it is. What are you going to do about it? So what you're saying, it almost sounds like, well, you use the word trauma. So this is perhaps associated with trauma and your method of recovering is that feel-good pleasure, whether you're viewing something. It doesn't have to be nudity. It could be something like a woman's leg or stockings or just a clothed figure of a woman. Or if you're a man to a woman or a man to a man or a woman to a woman, then it's trauma-based. So does that mean that you have to get to the root of the problem to help fix or change this behavioral pattern, this addiction? What you have to do is begin to understand where the problem starts. And you need to be able to tell yourself a story where you understand how it began. Again, this is not something where we can hook you up to, you know, a machine and be like, okay, here's exactly what happened to you. And here's how we fix what happened to you. We are still in the dark ages of mental health. 
we have only been touching mental health for a couple decades now, and it's even less time that it's been socially acceptable. So we are really like, you know, we are just starting to understand things. This is not like physical health where if a hundred of us break our arm, the doctor can say largely the same thing to all of us. We all have our different traumas. We all have our different experiences. It's impossible to say that one person's experience will lead to trauma, will lead to addiction. You can have a twin brother who's gone through the exact same thing as you and ends up completely well-adjusted on the end of it. Doesn't mean he's faking it. Doesn't mean you're faking it. It's just that it's so individualized now that a lot of this is about being honest with yourself. And one of the things that addicts are not good at doing is being honest with themselves. I've sat in 12-step in groups. I've sat in rehab rooms. I've sat running my own groups. I've sat with my own clients and just sat there and said, this person is doing nothing but lying to me, but they don't know it because they're lying to themselves. And we have to be able to learn when we look in the mirror at the beginning of the day to not gaslight ourselves. We talk about how addicts are the ultimate gaslighters. And yes, I should have had a doctorate in manipulation back in the day. I was that good at it. But I was that good at it because I got good at it with myself. When I look in the mirror, I have to make sure I don't see, you know, America's greatest superhero. And I also have to make sure that I don't see the biggest piece of human garbage that's walking the face of the earth. Because I can go either way very easily, and I can tell myself a compelling story either way very easily. The reality is I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm a human guy who has his own issues, who tries his best, and I have to see who's really there. And that's really, to me, the first and most important part of getting through an addiction is to recognize who you really are and be truthful with yourself. Because if you can't be truthful with yourself, the whole getting better from mental illness, the whole getting better from addiction part, it's just not going to work because you're dealing with a fictional character and you need to deal with who you really are. I'm glad you said that and used the word of mental health and you really have to get to know your, you have to know yourself. I mean, this is so important. Is there a website that people could go to to seek out help or counseling from you? Yeah, absolutely. My website is paddictrecovery.com. That's the letter P. I learned after about a year of having a different website that people don't like to type the word porn into their browser. So it's just P Addict Recovery. And you can also find me on Instagram at P Addict Recovery. I do have a blog there. I do talk about different things going on in my life. I'm also on TikTok as that corn coach. And I do lots of TikTok lives where I just try to offer advice to people because ultimately what I wonder is, is there anything that when I became a porn addict at 12, is there anything that somebody could have said to 14-year-old Josh or 18-year-old Josh or 25-year-old Josh or 30-year-old Josh or 35-year-old Josh that could have stopped him, that could have been either a logical plea or could have been an emotional plea? I don't know, but what could have been done to have me not go down the road that I went down. That's what I'm trying to do with other people now. And you know what? I, I, it seems to be working, but we need more people to talk about this. And like you said at the top of the show, there's still just such an, a huge amount of our population who is, ooh, pornography. It's naked people doing naked things. And we can't talk about this because 
even if you say the word pornography, it's like you're endorsing it. You know, we have some of these words out there like like Hitler. People don't want to say the word Hitler because it sounds like you're endorsing it. And pornography is one of them. And what we need to do is grow up as a society and recognize if we don't start taking care of this, if we don't look at this seriously, this is going to be even worse than the opioid crisis. This is going to be crazy when you have 40, 50, 60 percent of our population potentially having issues with sexuality, having issues with pornography. I tell people, you know, I'm not anti-pornography. I am pro-healthy sexuality. And right now we know just under 20% of people do qualify as pornography addicts. We know that men 18 to 30, roughly 32 to 33% self-identify as a pornography addict. These kinds of numbers are not going to change. They're only going to get worse unless we start doing something about it. And you and I have been talking now for 20, 25 minutes, and we haven't once yet talked about the graphicness of a scene of pornography. We haven't talked about these body parts that scare everybody or what these naked people are doing because we don't have to. We can be grown-ups and we can talk about the scourge of pornography because we stick our heads in the ground. Pornography is not going anywhere. It's, it's, it's completely natural to be curious about sexuality. However, some people like myself ended up taking it too far and it ended up becoming perverted and it ended up becoming twisted and it ended up becoming used for other reasons. And that's not healthy and that's what we need to talk about in this society. You know, I, I can see it getting to a point where I'll say coming from a male standpoint, since I'm a guy. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I can see where a guy would watch these porn flicks, programs, whatever it is, and then also and fantasize and they get aroused. But now when they go to their girlfriend or their wives or whatever... They, they're not aroused unless they are acting out what they remember. And then I can see where that could possibly be one of these issues where they talk about me. Look at it this way. You know, you, you and I are around the same age. When we were 20 years old, guys who were our age suffered erectile dysfunction at a rate of about 2 to 4%. High-speed internet was not everywhere when we were that age. You know, most of us were still using Playboy magazines. Most of us were still looking at pay-per-view or renting videotapes because the technology had not caught up yet. But now you have, now here we are 25, 30 years later, and we have this high-speed internet bringing everybody the greatest porn they've ever needed in the world because of their smartphone. What is the difference that we're seeing? Well, when you look at 20-year-old men now, and the rates of erectile dysfunction, you're talking about anywhere from 20 to 25%, depending upon the study that you're looking at. Now, you can't tell me that this is all exercise. This is all diet. We're not even talking really a full generation. We're talking 25 years. How is it that the D rates are now 20 to 25%? When you and I were young, one out of 40, one out of 50 guys had this problem. Now it's one out of four guys who have this problem. We have done the studying. There's a phenomenon known as the Coolidge effect. It's been studied in, in several different species of animals, including humans. 
And what we find is that the brain is sort of tweaked when a new sexual image is presented to it. Now, our brain doesn't always know if we're looking at something on a screen or if we're looking at something in front of ourselves. It just says, here's an image. So you can imagine seeing the same sexual image again and again. Obviously, that's probably going to be your partner. And then you consider the pornography. Nobody uses this, or I shouldn't say nobody. Most people don't use the same pornography twice. There is a thrill of new pornography. There's a thrill of a new person. So if you're watching pornography and, and it's always somebody different and your mind really doesn't see the difference between pornography and being with your partner, and we know that repeated viewings of the same sexual images brings not brings down the libido, but it certainly doesn't bring it up, well, okay, I've got porn over here, which is always exciting, and I've got my partner over here that I've been with 500, 1,000 times, however many times. There's nothing I can see naked on this person that I haven't seen before. There's not going to be any more surprises in the bedroom if you've been with them long enough. You know how that movie ends. Obviously, there can be problems here, and this is what leads to things like giant erectile dysfunction rates of 20-25%, and they're only getting worse. What happens when it's no longer 32% of men under 30 who have porn issues, but 40? What happens when those men who are under 30 become 40, 50, 60, and they don't get these things fixed? What happens as society changes and it becomes more socially acceptable for women to enjoy pornography that those numbers start popping up with addiction? It's really scary where this is headed if we're not willing to talk about it and talk about how we can get some of these numbers down because we're looking at a very unhealthy sexual society worldwide. Mm -hmm. well, a couple comments on that. I mean, I can see where this leads to you know, infidelity, 50% divorce rate and things like that. But I also want to throw this out there and ask you, just because a, we'll say a married couple has a porn addiction and we'll say, we'll say the, the wife cheats because she's seen, like I said, her husband a thousand times. It doesn't mean that she does not, or he does not love her, right? Right. right. It's, it's right. not, it's not about love. It's they've conditioned the brain, rewired it this other way to say, I get excited when I see something new. I need something new, or I need to see that particular act being done. And the truth is, he's probably lying about the porn. He's probably minimizing the porn because his brain tells him that's the loving thing to do. I've yet to I've yet to meet whether it's a man versus woman, woman versus man, same sex. I've never met the couple where there isn't love there. Even if the guy is blaming the woman for not being sexual enough because he can't face the fact he's an addict, or the woman is saying that her man can't keep up with her, you know, it still is a lot of the people's, a lot of people's addicts' reactions are still out of love. It, love is never a question here. You know, I try to tell that to the betrayal trauma clients I have who are partners of porn addicts, whether it's a man or a woman, I have to say, number one, this had nothing to do with you. They were an addict long before they met you. And number two, this really has nothing to do with you. It's not about them not loving you. The fact that you're sitting here now means that they do love you because they lied to you in a certain way that they could still try to keep a relationship going with you, you know. And it's hard for some people to understand that in the beginning, especially when they're so hurt. 
but addicts do a lot of things that are harm reduction and harm reduction includes to their relationship with somebody and that's what can make the betrayal trauma so rough is that if you're a great manipulator as a porn addict you can go 5, 10, 20 years without your partner ever realizing you have this issue then they find it out that is like finding out that you know there is no sun there is no moon you believed in something so much only to find out that it was totally different and that's when people start to ask oh my god well if if he can lie about this for 20 years or if she can lie about this for 10 years what else are they lying about has this gone to infidelity what do they have another family what's going on here and it leaves people feeling just emotionally naked and they don't know when to where to turn i have never seen another addiction do such a number on the partner as porn and sex addiction intercourse addiction as we talked about earlier when it comes to infidelity be it with another person or be with pornography that does such a number on the partner. I can understand why you're saying that. It's again because it's just such a wide breadth of things that can be or that come into the porn addiction. Like I said, it's not just intercourse. It's not just looking at a, a picture. It can be so many different things. Uh, that's scary. That's scary to me. But also, I just want to throw this out there. All right, you guys are watching and listening. You just got yourself a free counseling session for free because you just have to understand it may not have anything to do with does he or she love me it's an addiction that they had or a pre-addiction that they had that's now addiction long before they got together with you so yeah. just uh, i would say that if you're going through counseling sessions with, with joshua or anybody else go through the sessions don't be negative about it and just do your best to understand on both sides the addict and the trauma victim or the partner of the addict welcome to my world the the math of it is pretty obvious especially if you look at it in in my life i was an addict at 12 years old i probably was pre-addict for many years before but i was an addict at 12 years old i met my wife shortly after i turned 26. Hmm. how can she have had anything to do with this when i was an addict for 14 years before meeting her the math just doesn't make sense there yeah. and 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 if i i could you know be the kind of guy who blamed her oh you're, you're not keeping up your body you're not good enough in bed you're not blah 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 but that's just me projecting that has my addiction has nothing to do with her whatsoever just like my alcohol addiction had nothing to do with her you know just like my bipolar disorder had nothing to do with her these are things we carry ourselves that are not other people's fault and when you know when we blame other people for our own mental issues or our own addictive issues it's because we don't want to look in the mirror we don't want to say that we have some hard work to do if we want to get better we want to point a finger of blame because it's easier if they change instead of me but as i tell my trauma clients you know you could bring your best friend to bed with you and him and he can have the three-way he's always wanted with the two of you but i promise you two days from now he's just going to want a different friend and two days after that he's going to want a different friend you cannot have enough sex to get this out of the system 
You cannot have enough, you know, intimacy to get this out of the system. He is sick. Addiction is a disease. A lot of people don't want to accept that, but addiction is absolutely a brain disease. And if this person has a brain disease, they have to do certain things to take care of it. And and nothing against the marriage counseling industry. They do wonderful things, but a marriage counselor has never once cured or taken care of an addiction. It just mm. doesn't work that way. And that's why I tell many people who are in a relationship with a porn addict or a sex addict or any addict for that matter, that you can go to marriage counseling, but that's not going to touch the addiction. Those people aren't trained in that kind of stuff. You need to find somebody who's trained in addiction if that's the problem that you want to deal with. And I promise you, you need to deal with the addiction before you deal with the other marriage problems. I didn't I dealt with my porn addiction second. I went and dealt with my alcohol addiction first because that was the one that was out in the open. That's the one that everybody saw. That's the one that was really causing, you know, day-to-day moment-to-moment problems. Once I took care of my alcohol addiction, I could really focus on the pornography. There are ways and, and steps that you have to take this. And I know you want a wonderful relationship back that you have told yourself was once there. Maybe it never was. But have you, you know, I want it to be I want things to be the way they were. Well, you know, they never will, but you have to work at it. You have to take it step by step the correct way, or you're not gonna get there. And I think that's part of the reason why we see such a high divorce rate is because people aren't taking it step by step the way that they're supposed to. Yeah. Well, Joshua, I mean, you've touched upon a lot of very important things, but I'm wondering, can you bring it down real simple and give us two things, possibly two things on both for the addict and then for the person of the partner of the addict, either how to recognize something or or what they can do if, if they are in that position where they realize that they are an addict. Are there a couple of things that both both sides that they can do to begin this process of healing? Absolutely. And the first thing I always say is talk to somebody who's been through it. It doesn't have to be a coach. It doesn't have to be a therapist. I think a lot of people like my coaching because I have been through it. I have personally been to these places that I deal with with my clients, but you can find a sponsor in a 12-step group. You can just find somebody online in a forum who's been through this stuff. Have somebody who has been through this problem successfully. Now, maybe you won't become best friends with them. Maybe you won't become, you know, soulmates and, and ride or dies forever, but having somebody who has been through this problem successfully is such a great tool to have. Because there are going to be so many days where you think you can't go through it. There are going to be so many days where you get triggered. You want to leave. You want to use. Whatever the problem is that day. To have somebody who you can lean on and say, hey, I'm feeling this way today. Because, you know, my boss was a jerk all day long. All I want to do is come home and use. I came home. My wife's nagging me. And then she starts talking about wanting to have sex. I don't want to touch her right now. I want to go look at porn and forget this world exists. What do I do? Well, they probably have been there. They can probably give you a whole bunch of ideas of what you can do. Once you find that person, then find the person who knows what they're doing on an academic level. The coach, the therapist, the counselor, the psychologist, whatever it is you want to go to. Somebody who has dealt with 
hundreds of people in your similar situation. I know we love to all think that we are unique snowflakes in this world, and in many ways we are. If somebody has seen hundreds of people go through this, they have some history that could probably help you out there. So mm. find somebody who's been there themselves who you can confide in. Find somebody who knows the material and has worked with other people. And I think that's your best sense. And like I said, when you see yourself in the mirror, learn to tell yourself the truth. Don't tell yourself the story that you need to hear that day. We are the stories we want to hear. We are the stories we tell ourselves. So tell yourself a factually correct story. Thanks. That's that's wise word. This is not a one day not a two day, not a one week, could be one week, maybe it, it yeah, differs from it, people to people, right? Well, you know, if there was a giant bomb that hit the world and everybody except you died, I guess it could be a week, but I'll, I'll tell you that to me, recovery is a process. It wasn't just about not being a porn user. It wasn't just about not being an alcoholic. You know, I tell people that if you like chocolate ice cream, when you're, when you're an addict, you're going to like chocolate ice cream in recovery. And, you know, if you're a naturally funny person as an addict, you're going to be a naturally funny person in recovery. But if you are somebody who doesn't have compassion or doesn't have a whole lot of empathy like I was as an addict, well, it turns out in recovery, you're the same guy. If you're, you know, pardon my French, an asshole when you're an addict, you're still going to be one in recovery. And to me... You know, while I clearly had trauma, while I clearly had these addictions, I had a lot of other personality flaws as well. For me, recovery is working on all of them. I'd say with my clients, only about a third of what we do is directly related to the addiction. We do that very early on. We get it under control, but we have to start working on the other stuff. What is it that you wish you was different about you? You know, do you not like to be around people? Does it bother you when people are sharing their feelings with you? You know, why is this? Do you recognize that this probably isn't healthy? You know, what do you want to do to become a healthier person? And to me, now eight years into recovery, over 3,100 days, no relapses, I'm still working on it. Now, do I think I'll ever use porn again? No. Do I think I'll ever drink again? No but I can always work on being a better person. And to me, that's an ongoing process. If you're looking for a three week fix to get you off of porn and to create a better person, well, I would say don't bother starting because this is a commitment to a different lifestyle. It's not a matter of, oh, I've got a wart on my hand, let me go get that lanced. Okay, let's go back to life. You have to completely change your life. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to put your health and your recovery ahead of everything else, then you're not ready. I'm glad you said that because like alcoholics, former alcoholics, you hear them and you say, today is my fifth year anniversary. Today is my 30th. Today is my third week anniversary. It's a process and it's a lifelong process. That's what I'm liking in this too is it's you're you and it's with you every day. So you're going to be working on it every single day. So don't think that it's a magic thing that it's going to fix it and fix you and you don't ever have to worry about it again. That was said so beautifully. I'll probably steal it for my next interview.
Joshua, one more time. I forgive me too if I get this incorrect, but your website is P Addiction or is it P Addict? P Addict Ah, thank you. And I'll make sure that we put that in the the Show description up. and right down in there. Yep. And the reason we're using the letter P is because, like you said earlier, a lot of people don't like typing in porn because they think, oh my gosh, who's looking over my shoulder yep. or am yep. I going to get now something dirty? Coming, I type the word porn in. Yeah. So this has really been fantastic information. I because I feel happy. Good. I mean, I, I feel happy because this is going to be helpful. I hope so. so. And like I said, we're in the early days of this. You know, some people, if you look at the history of alcoholism in the United States, you're going back to the 20s and 30s. People were just thrown into insane asylums when they were alcoholics. Then you see the very beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous in the 30s, and it's starting to pick up through the 40s and 50s. The American Psychological Association, which creates the DSM, which is kind of the Bible of, of disorders, they did not even see alcohol use disorder as a problem until the 1970s. Wow. Uh, we can't we can't cling to what the experts say. They have to do a lot of study. They have to make sure before they put into any of their books or say to any of their clients, you know, what's going on. This stuff needs to be studied for decades. We don't have decades. We can see what's going on around us. And if somebody wants to cling to an old medical Bible and say there's no such thing as porn addiction, I hope that you are able to stay in your ignorance for the rest of your life and not have to ever deal with the kind of world that I did or so many millions of us who are porn addicts do. This is an absolutely real thing. And if you feel like you have a problem, you probably do. We don't ask ourselves about having problems if we don't have them. I bet you don't ask yourself if you vacuum too much. I bet you don't ask yourself if you ride on ice cream trucks too much because you don't. If you're asking yourself if you have a problem, you probably do. And like you said at the beginning of the show, I don't look like I'm somebody who is be a sex or a porn addict. Well, that's fantastic, but I was. And I promise you pass them every day of your life and none of them look like that. So don't look in the mirror and see yourself as someone who couldn't be that way. If you have this issue or any other addiction issue, get help today before it's too late. Yep. Addiction does not discriminate. No. no. Joshua, thank you very much. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Chuck. I appreciate it. There are still so many people out there who are afraid of these kinds of interviews, afraid of this kind of frank talk. And I really appreciate you allowing me to have access to your listeners. And if there's anything else I can ever do for you, just let me know. Thanks.